What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, we had an action-packed weekend, my guy. You ready to go over this? Dude, born ready. But, you know, as per usual, guys, we have an agenda ready to go for you. We have a couple of games that we'd like to go over on the slate. So, first and foremost, I'm just going to go on an itty-bitty, tiny little itty-bitty rant about my Colts. Today, we got the victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars, moving into a 500 record, which is well overdue. Next, we are going to go over the absolute demolishment of the Cleveland Browns and the Patriots. And I mean, demolishing is not even close to the word. Kyle's team absolutely obliterated Cleveland. And they moved to 6-4, and four, trying to catch up to Buffalo in the division of the AFC East. Next, we go into the shocking upset of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing to the Washington football team. It seems that Taylor Heineke just likes to play Tom Grady very aggressively. However, in that win, they did have a significant loss, and they may have feared that Chase Young could be missing some significant time. He was carted off the field and ruled out of the game with a knee injury. But again, we'll get into that shortly. Uh, Following that game, we're going to just slide into the Seahawks-Packers game in which the Packers beat the Seahawks 17 to nothing. Zero. I believe that is the first time that Russell Wilson has ever been shut out in his career, if I read that correctly earlier today. Then we'll slide into our honorable mentions. As per usual, Kyle and I will pick a team that we just felt needed some acknowledgement. Um, and then obviously transitioning afterwards, we'll of course have updates here and again in between the um, the Sunday night matchup right now that is the Chiefs and the Raiders. Currently, the Chiefs are winning right now, if I remember correctly. Actually, uh, we have 17-7 to 7 as the third quarter should be starting shortly. And then Kyle and I are also just going to have a, a little tidbit segment in the NBA. Some Zion Williamson updates with Zion kind of missing pretty much every single game, if not every single off-season slash game slash whatever for the Pelicans this year. He's recovering from off-season foot surgery, and it looks, according to Sham, like he is nowhere near close to being back or having even a timetable of a return. So Kyle and I will talk about that and how that's going to affect the Pelicans and his career a little bit later. So Kyle, if you could just do me the honor of putting the screen on me really quick. Ladies and gentlemen... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just bracing you. You know, if you have small children, please leave the room. If you do not like swearing, I'm going to need you to, for sure, um, you know, just shield their ears. If not, just, just, I I warn you, I warn you. Kyle, do you have anything before I start? No, Kev, the floor is all yours. The Colts won this game. Let me just start off with a positive note. We are five and five. We beat the team we were supposed to beat. However... We punted the ball seven times, and Jonathan Taylor had 103 yards at halftime. Do you guys know how much he ended the game with? Because I do. He ended the game with 116. Guys, that's 13 yards in the second half. We scored three points in the second half against the Jaguars. I know what everybody's thinking. They beat Buffalo last week. Everybody's entitled to a good week. What I need to once again reiterate, because Kyle had the faith after we won last week. Oh, Kev, you won 45 to 30. You guys have been running the ball great. No. Frank did it again. He did did it again to where running the ball was a successful formula to which he decided to just go away from up 20 to 9 when the third quarter started. We get Jacksonville to punt. On their first drive, we get the ball back, and 
we just try to get fancy. Jacksonville's defense stepped up. Yes, they did what they needed to do in order to get us to give them the ball back 100%. But for our offense to punt the ball seven times, unacceptable. Jonathan Taylor had 21 carries, which don't let that fool you. He had a lot of garbage carries in the fourth quarter to try and, and ice and milk the clock in which the offensive line got no push because at that point, Jacksonville knows, stack the box with nine or ten people because we're handing it off. Anyway, Carson Wentz did not look good once again. No turnovers, thank God, but he did almost throw two picks, and he was almost strip-sack fumble, was able to hold the ball. So I'm looking at this game, and I'm saying, once again, we're beating the team we're supposed to, but we are not capitalizing on what happened on the defensive side of the ball. Trevor Lawrence at half maybe had 30 yards. Maybe. He had like four total completions in that half. Why in God's name did we not win by 20 plus points? Why did Jonathan Taylor not have 160 plus rushing yards? Why did Naeem Hines only have two touches? I am not understanding where Frank goes in these games where we we hit a certain stride and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to risk it all. Jacksonville almost came back to where it was 20 to 17 in the fourth and Jacksonville had the ball and was driving. And our defense had to make a play to strip sack Trevor Lawrence. Why is it that our games have to come to this point? Why do we have to struggle against a bad football team? I don't I I know we're better than this. And Carson Wentz, once again, another forcing the ball with your left hand, another shovel pass six yards deep down the field. I don't think he understands that you can't do that as a quarterback in the NFL because he sure as shit did it a lot in Philadelphia. So I'm not gonna say he's never done it before. But why? QBR of twenty three point six. Why? Trevor Lawrence was 16 of 35. He averaged four and a half yards per fucking attempt. And we won this game by six. I'm absolutely fed up with this team. We have 45 points against the Jets last week, and we barely score over 20 against the Jags. Unacceptable. Yes, we won. I should be looking at the bright side of things. No, the fuck I'm not. I was mad that we won by 15 last week because the Jets should not have scored fucking 30 points. This is a reoccurring thing in which the Colts either win by a lot or we fucking struggle because Frank wants to try to outcoach the, uh, the coach on the other side. Or for God's sakes, Urban Meyer almost outcoached Frank Reich. The man was grinding on a 60-year-old woman in a fucking bar a month and a half ago. And we're sitting here struggling against him? Are you kidding me? Their best play from scrimmage was a fucking sweep on a third-string special teams running back, for God's sakes. Their offense was atrocious. And we could not score at all. And the only reason we had 23 points was because we blocked the punt and returned it for a touchdown. So technically... This should have been like 15 to 17. We should have lost this game. We should have lost this game. 18 to 17, excuse me. Barely lost or barely won. Math isn't my strong suit. As you can see, I'm flustered and I'm very upset. I need us to figure out what the fuck we're doing. I need us to get it together. And I need Carson Wentz to stop. 
We're going to play a really good team next week in Buffalo, in Buffalo. And if Carson does 2% of the shit he did today, we're losing by 20 points. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Frank saw my video two, three weeks ago, and we ran the ball for over 200 yards almost in back-to-back weeks. Frank, I'm talking to you. Run the football. Jonathan Taylor should have had way more than 13 total yards in the second half. Run the football. You good? You feel better? I do. I actually do feel better. Uh, Dude, like, this is, like, becoming, like, a weekly therapy session for you. Like, it's just, I'm glad that you're able to kind of, like, vent out all of these pent-up frustrations and this anger that you have in regards to the Colts, even though that they did win this game. So, I'll say this right now, though. You guys are taking an L against Buffalo next week. I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Just because Buffalo's really tough to play at home. And I think... I'm not going to say that you guys are going to lose by 20 points, though. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think when I look at it, I do think that Indy's defense could keep it close against Buffalo. But it's the offense. I just don't know if that offense is going to be able to go up against that Buffalo defense. That Buffalo defense is pretty strong to begin with. But I will say this, though. If they run the football with Jonathan Taylor, I'll say this. If Jonathan Taylor gets about 125 to 150 yards rushing against that Buffalo defense next week, I think you guys win. I'll flat out say it. The reason why is because you guys would be able to control the time of possession in that regard. Best thing you could probably do is keep Josh Allen off the field and keep chewing clock with some really nice drives that go, oh, I don't know, four to six minutes, possibly even seven, result in touchdowns. So I'm not going to say it's all doom and gloom. You know, for the Colts going into Buffalo next week, even though I did say that you guys are taking the L. But I- I'm saying, like, if the Colts were to somehow get a win against Buffalo next week, it would be because of Jonathan Taylor just punishing that Buffalo defense. And it would have to start up front. It starts up in the trenches, like always. And Indy's offensive line, they can make it happen. I'm just saying. Dude, he had 93 rushing yards in the first order. Dude, I... I'm aware. I have him in fantasy. He had like 15, 16 for, fantasy points Kyle, in the first quarter. For, first, the first drive, he had over 40. I know. That was like a five-minute drive. I know. Dude, I, I genuinely thought after the first drive he was going to have 200 yards because they couldn't stop him. It goes back to play calling. And th- this was one of the games that I didn't get a chance to watch today. But were you guys able to get any sort of like – decent drives in the second half or did they just stall out pretty much all like the first 20 yards almost, almost all we punted on four straight possessions at one point yeah the, that's that's what happens though it's play calling but, but but to jacksonville's credit the last two weeks they have been playing better i'm not saying that they're going out there and they're playing like the best team in the nfl but i can't sit here and say with a straight face that they are the worst team in the nfl anymore no, they, they no, beat but they beat Buffalo last week, holding them to six points. Buffalo, with that high-powered offense with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, and Cole Beasley. That's impressive for Jacksonville. It I is. Mean, I mean, Fair. Indianapolis was able to do something that Buffalo couldn't do last week, which was beat them. So I gotta say, Indianapolis, give them credit. They get back to five hundred. It did sucks. It, it kind of sucks that the Titans 
uh, won the game against uh, the, uh, the, the Saints, Saints today because had they not, I'm just saying that race in the AFC South would have tightened a little bit. And I'm not saying that that gap is too wide. There's still a lot of time left as far as the season goes. We're only in the second week of November. The season doesn't end until the first week in January. So there is some time for you guys to make up that ground. But with the way that the Titans are looking, even without Derrick Henry, I'm saying it's going to be tough. But, yeah. but... I do think that Indianapolis is moving in the right direction. I had you guys beat Tennessee a couple weeks back. I think it flips this It'd whole be a conversation. whole different. Exactly. I think it's a whole different category. Because I mean, you guys would be sitting at what six and four. Six at this and current? four. Yeah. I'm and Tennessee thinking. would have been like I think seven and three, so we would have been a, a game behind. And by the way, guys, Vegas just scored. It is now seventeen fourteen. Who got the touchdown? Uh, Brian Edwards. Okay, well, I'm going up against right up, bro, right up the seam. Legit, okay. that defense is poop. Well, I mean, I haven't given up 30 yet. No, but I mean, literally ran past the corner and Tyron Matthew. Yeah, but I mean, with that Chiefs defense, I mean, in some of these games, I mean, they could give up 20, 20 plus points in one half. They only gave up seven in the first half, so I mean, they're off to a decent start defensively, and they're on the road <laughs> too. Well so. They're doing what they need to do. But enough about the Colts because I'm just going to get angry again. Kyle, let's swing it on a positive note for you, my friend. Mm -hmm. The Patriots go out and they just fuck up the Browns. There's no other way to say it, bro. Just Oh, my God. Just dominated. 45, 45 to 7. Obviously, Cleveland now moves to – falls to 5 and 5. You guys climb to 6 and 4. The AFC East race is getting closer. How do you feel about this win? And does this win say the Patriots are moving? Are you guys surging on a run? I'm ecstatic right now. I'm absolutely ecstatic. This was a game where, to me, this was a check for New England, meaning is this a game where they could rise above the occasion and just play lights out against a pretty solid team in the Browns? And, dude, they passed with flying colors today. Outside of the first drive that they gave up a touchdown to the Browns, the Patriots scored five, 45 unanswered points against a decent Browns team. That was the staggering part to me, was the fact that throughout the entire course of the game, New England punted the ball one time. Every other possession, they essentially scored on every drive, whether it resulted in a touchdown or a field goal. The first half, Mac Jones and that offense were lights out. They were unstoppable. They got great production from Ramondre Stevenson, who replaced Damian Harris, who was out with a concussion. And I thought Stevenson had a hell of a game. He had about 20 yards. Um, excuse me. He had 20 carries for about 100 yards rushing, had two touchdowns in this game. To go along with that, I thought Mac Jones was sensational in this game. He was efficient once again. And, dude, he loves that Hunter Henry connection because that seems to be like his go-to in the red zone. And Hunter Henry had a nice day to go along with that with two receiving touchdowns as well. And when I look at New England overall offensively, this team definitely has the capabilities of putting up 30 plus points a game. It's just, they haven't been able to do it on a consistent basis, but this was remarkable because I thought that the Browns were going to be able to keep New England under 30 points, but the Browns defense could not stop a park car today. It was that bad as far as Cleveland goes. But 
to go along with New England's offense was their defense. Outside of that first drive where they gave up that seven quick points to Cleveland, they shut them down for the rest of the day. Dearness Johnson couldn't get into a rhythm whatsoever. Baker had a terrible game. Just offensively for the Browns, they could not get anything going consistently, but that's due into part what New England's defense was able to do. And this New England defense has been playing lights out the last month or so. They've won, I believe now, four straight games. And they were currently sitting, they're currently sitting at a six and four record. Just a couple of weeks ago, it didn't look like it was really in the cards for New England this year. But they have been able to round out a well so, a solid performance against the Browns, against some of the divisional players that they've gone up against with the Jets, and they've been able to make things happen. Now, moving forward, obviously Buffalo's still the big dog in the AFC East. So that's definitely going to be something that we are going to continue to look forward to. But this New England team, I'll just say it right now, Kevin, this team's in this team is a dangerous team in the AFC just because the Titans are probably clearly the best team in the AFC right now. Buffalo is right behind them, but you can make a solid case that New England is the third best team in the AFC right now. A month ago, they were probably down closer to the bottom end of the AFC, but they've been able to pull off some really big wins on the road and at home. And it's really been doing to part great production from Mac. The defense has been playing outstanding. And I think Bill Belichick and that coaching staff have been phenomenal the last month or so. Today was a masterclass when it comes to coaching in regards to what the offense of coordinators did with Josh McDaniels, the defensive coaches with what Matt Patricia, Gerard Mayo were able to do. And I thought Bill Belichick had a perfect game plan for this week and they executed it essentially flawlessly. Is it something that they can keep up? We'll see. Time will tell in that regard. But if they are able to run the ball this consistently to go along with Mac passing the ball very efficiently, I think this offense could really get it going within probably the next week or two. Because if they're putting up 45 points against the Browns, they could put up 30 plus against anybody. It's just the consistency part. Mac is kind of coming into his own in his rookie year right now. And hopefully that just continues moving forward for the Patriots. The Patriots might be one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC. And that's just the way that I see it at this current moment in time. Yeah. I mean, I'm legitimately looking at this box score and it, again, it's nothing exponentially like, Oh my God, like Mac didn't light them up for 400 yards. Right. But he was effective. And this is what we talked about a few weeks ago, where I said he's the perfect quarterback to fill in the shoes of Tom Brady because he right now is just a game manager and he makes good decisions. He can hit the ball in terms of the deep ball, and he does have accurate um, tendencies, so it's not like he's a risky quarterback in terms of turning it over. But he's got a lot to learn. So with him being this successful this early and the defense getting into a rhythm, that leads me to believe, just like you said, this team is dangerous and hitting a stride at a really, really, really good point right now. The running game was effective with 184 total rushing yards. Mac Jones had three touchdowns. He kept the ball away from the defense. They were effective on everything, excuse me, on all sides of the ball. And it's really hard for a rookie quarterback to be put into a position 
uh, of this magnitude and to now be in basically a division hunt. I think for you guys right now, you, you, you couldn't be at a higher wave. I don't think you all, I don't think anybody saw New England being in this position, at least this early on in the season. Mind you, we're halfway through already, so it's not like you guys were ever like out of it, out of it. But I really do think that the Patriots are poised for maybe not a run necessarily, but I think that they could make some noise in the AFC if they continue to play it the, the way they are. It's just the one thing that I've noticed really with New England the last couple of weeks is, like I mentioned, it's their defense. And their defense, granted, I know Baker was hurt in this game, and he's been hurt the last couple of weeks with that torn labrum issue in his non-throwing shoulder. But Baker really had nobody to throw to today because New England's corners and their secondary was just blanketing their receivers. I mean, Jarvis Landry did not have the, that good of a game. Granted, he's dealing with some injury issues himself as well. But Donovan Peoples-Jones, he had a relatively pedestrian game. Dearness Johnson out of the backfield was, I mean, okay. But outside of that, outside of maybe nine yards, he played really well. He had five yards to carry. He did, and but most of his yards mostly came in that first quarter. Yeah. That was that was when they got the the first drive that ended up resulting in a touchdown. But after that, they had to abandon the run game because they got into a hole really quick after New England responded, and then Baker throws that interception, and New England gets the ball on the five yard line. They run it in on the next play. And Kevin, my boy Nikhil Harry, set a great edge block on Miles Garrett for that Ramondre Stevenson touchdown that put him up 14-7. I know Nikhil Harry is not putting a lot as far as production when it comes to receiving yards, receptions, or touchdowns on the board, but his blocking today was phenomenal. I cannot criticize him on that in any way, shape, or form. Granted, he only had one catch today, but his biggest impact did not come in the receiving department. It came with his blocks and his down-the-field blocks. I thought this was one of the best games that I've seen him personally play with New England so far. I know it didn't result with a huge production day from him, but I have to respect what he was able to do as far as his blocking goes. It is an underrated skill as far as receivers go, and if he's able to do that moving forward, I love it. And you know what? I think this team is primarily run-first anyway. So... Look, if that's the way that they're going to utilize Nikhil Harry this season, I got no problem with that. Most of New England's receivers anyway are maybe getting at most three or four catches a game. There's not really one singular guy that's their number one target. If you had to kind of pick one, it's probably Kendrick Bourne. But after that, like Jacoby Myers, uh, Nelson Aguilar, Gunnar Olszewski when he's active, and then you kind of find Nikhil Harry in that mix as well. But they utilize everybody in the passing game because they like to throw a lot of screens to their running backs with uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris, and Brandon Bolden. Granted, they didn't have Damian in this game, but I thought Ramondre Stevenson and Brandon Bolden had fantastic games in this matchup against the Browns. But the thing that I'm going to be looking forward to the most with New England is if they can keep that defensive intensity up moving forward, it is going to do them wonders. And if Mac is just not turning the ball over and he's staying consistent, he's staying poised in the pocket. I think that they have a shot to possibly upset the bills and taking the AFC East this year. Granted a month ago, that didn't look like the case, but new England has really shown me that they have turned things around very quickly. And I got to give credit where credit is due. I think Bill Belichick has been doing a phenomenal job the last month or so with this team. The coaching for New England has always been one where 
I think it's just been far superior compared to most teams throughout the NFL. And I think in this year in particular, it's definitely showing once again because I think they're doing a very good job of keeping Mac Jones. What I mean by this is they're not opening up the playbook to where he could just run it by himself at this point. They're kind of taking, I don't want to say baby steps with him, but they're walking him through it. And they're keeping the plays relatively short for him. And I think to their credit, it's been working. So this isn't like a situation where you see Zach Wilson with the Jets and they're just letting him sling it. And he's turning the ball over consistently every game that he plays in. Mac has been very good this year as far as limiting his turnovers. He has had his fair share of turnovers. And the last two games before this one, he wasn't necessarily the most efficient as far as his passing goes. But today, I thought overall, this was just one of the most well-rounded wins that you're going to see from New England this year. And against a team like the Browns, the Browns are kind of fighting for their own place in the AFC North this year. Just, it was a masterclass performance from New England today. There's really no other way to say it. And I know, you know, this is my team. I ripped my team to the end. But no, they put an absolute beat down on the Browns today. And I, I think it deserves a lot of credit and respect for what they were able to do today. Hey, rightfully deserved, bro. I mean, whether or not it was a 45-point win against the freaking Browns, whether it was a 45-point win against the Jaguars, you know, putting up that many points against any team is a feat in, in and of itself. With a rookie quarterback, that's a, that just kind of is like icing on the cake, in my opinion. The, the biggest stat for me, one punt. One. Every other drive pretty much ended in a touchdown, a field goal, or they just knelt it at the end. I don't even think they knelt it at the end. I think Cleveland ended up taking the last possession out before the end of the game. So even Brian Hoyer threw a touchdown today. That's and, hilarious. And I do, I do want to give credit to Jacoby Myers. Jacoby got his first receiving touchdown as an NFL player today. So That's I, after 135 games or 135 yeah, I, 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 catches. It, it, it's yeah, it's 135 catches. He's it was That's it's like the long it's like the longest for any receiver. By a mile. It's not even close. So Hey, I, I, I mean, well, look at that. He's a part of the history books. You know, but it's about time. And, and like, it was kind of cool because you got to see, like, essentially the entire offense, like, ran onto the field, like, into the end zone to go celebrate with him. That was probably, like, the biggest moment. The touchdown is one thing, but I imagined, like, all of his teammates just literally just celebrating with him. That was, that was really cool. And I, I I'm, Glad that he was finally able to to celebrate his first touchdown. He's actually had a passing touchdown already, but to finally get a receiving touchdown, they had to feel good. I know he had the one called back a couple of weeks back. I think it was against the Cowboys, uh, where he had one taken back. But you know, this was definitely cool to see him get his first, and I'm glad that he got it. Yeah, I mean, you know, kudos to him. Obviously, shout out to the Patriots. They did what they needed to do. They got the W. Um, so obviously, Kyle, we know that there was a team this past Sunday or this past uh, couple of hours that did not get a victory, and that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay has lost two out of their last three back-to-back -back losses. They fall to 6-3 and three in a very competitive NFC South, at least within the uh, confines of the Saints. The Saints did also lose today, so, you know, their division lead kind of remains the same. But I'm just looking at this to the context of, is there a reason for panic in Tampa Bay? Not yet, and here's why. Because 
the last two games that they've lost with the Saints game and now the Washington football game, they've gotten off to terrible starts. And it's in part due to Tom Brady not having the best starts. We've seen Tom turn the ball over religiously in the last two games. He had three turnovers in the game against the Saints a couple weeks back. And then he had another game in the Washington football matchup today where he turned the ball over twice. Granted, the first one I don't believe was on him, but that second interception that he had was atrocious. It was a bad interception. And it set the eight ball behind for the Bucs the entire day today because even though that Washington is not that good of a team, they're still a competitive team that you have to respect. And Washington took full advantage of those turnovers early on and they were able to get a sizable lead over Tampa within the first half of the game. Now, granted, Tampa did make some adjustments in the second half, and Tom definitely started to correct those mistakes in the second half. He did get Tampa within four points with about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter after he connected with Mike Evans on a pretty nice touchdown pass. But the entire game essentially came down to one drive from Washington with 10 minutes left, and Taylor Heineke led that Washington offense on a 19-play, nine-and-a-half-minute drive that resulted in an Antonio Gibson touchdown with 30 seconds left in the game that iced it for them. A phenomenal drive from Washington from beginning to end, from the 10-minute mark to the last play of the drive with Antonio scoring that touchdown. And probably one of the biggest plays of the game was Terry McLaurin coming up with a critical third-down conversion where he runs a five-yard slant, gets absolutely demolished by the safety that's crashing down to hit him. I believe it was Mike Edwards that delivered that hellacious hit on Terry McLaurin, but he was able to hold on to the ball and extend that drive for Washington and keep Tom Brady off the field. It was the most impressive drive that I've seen from Washington the entire year, and you can honestly say at this point that that drive by Washington may be one of the best drives that we'll see the entire year. And Tampa's defense had no answer. They could not stop Washington on that drive whatsoever. And it's the most critical drive of the game. You need to stop to get Tom back on the field, and they just weren't able to do it. So with Tampa, I'm not concerned with them moving forward still because they're playing in the NFC South, and that division is not really that good outside of the Saints. The one team that you do have to focus on is with New Orleans, but I just don't think that New Orleans is going to be able to get over the hump against Tampa moving forward. So when I look at Tampa in these next couple weeks, they need to get off to better starts. If they get off to better starts, if they're playing from ahead, I think they'll win the majority of the games that they win, or they'll they'll win most of the games that you know they're going up against certain teams with. It's just with the turnovers that they've had, the bad starts in the last two games, it's set them behind, and they haven't been able to dig out of them as far as the deficits goes. But outside of that, I think Tom has been playing stellar football throughout the entirety of the year. These two games have not been his best, and it has resulted in losses. But I think it also is, to a certain extent, that this team is not healthy. Rob Gronkowski's still out. Antonio Brown's still out. There may be a good chance that AB may not even be back from the season. He's still in a walking boot, based on what Bruce Arians was saying throughout the week. Tampa may be in a little bit of trouble just with the two games that they've lost and back-to-back games. But I think moving forward, I'm not really concerned 
with the Bucks. I still believe that they're going to win the NFC South, but I think when it comes to being the top dog in the NFC at this current moment in time, I think that's over. I think Arizona is a better team than them. I think Green Bay is a better team than them. I think the Rams are a better team than them, but the Bucks are still in that race. It's just, you know, they're probably in fourth position right now. So, yeah, these are two bad losses, but this loss against Washington, I thought this was an atrocious loss. This was a bad loss for Tampa, and they're going to have to go back to the drawing board to figure this out because this does not look good on their part. I just want to circle on two quick things because you had a great breakdown of the game, and I agree with everything you said. And I'm just going to circle. Tampa's defense may have given up 29 points, but they locked down the running game of Washington. They kept them to 2.8 yards per carry on 34 attempts, and they sacked Taylor Heineke five times. So the defense stepped up where it needed to to try, but like you said, just in, in, in critical moments, they were not able to come up big for the offense to be able to come back onto the field. And again, I will give Taylor Heineke a lot of credit. He only had a total of six incompletions. He was 26 of 32. Managed the clock very well, scored where he needed to, and he did not turn it over. So big shout-out to the Washington football team. Once again, it does unfortunately seem like they did lose Chase Young for a significant amount of time. He was carted off the field with a knee injury. Um, I have not seen Schefter or any other people reporting any um, updates on his status. So I am unaware if it is an ACL, a uh, sprain, anything. So we will keep you updated once we find that out. But potentially, Chase Young could be much, missing a significant amount of time. I mean, Kyle, in your experience, typically when the cart comes out, it's pretty bad for the most part if you can't walk out on your own, you know, on your own will. Yeah, I think the initial fear with Chase Young is that he tore his ACL. I think that was pretty much what they were saying pretty much as the game was going on. I think there were some reports that's like, yeah, this is what it's probably going to be because it looked like it looked like a non-contact injury. And, um, man, I know Washington is not having a good year this year, but still the fact remains that Chase Young is still one of the most dynamic young playmakers that we have in the NFL at this current moment in time. And... You know, to lose him for the season, for Washington, that's got to be tough because even though that they held Tampa to 19 points in this game, Washington's defense has not looked good this year. And it was basically the antithesis of what we thought coming into the year. And now that you possibly lose Chase Young, one of the premier pass rushers on that defense, that Washington defense just takes another hit. And it's, it's, un- bad, it's, un- bro. it's unfortunate. You know, the guy is extremely, extremely talented. And you just hate to see a guy go down like that. But I guess that there's a silver lining in it is that they were able to kind of get this win against the Buccaneers. So, you know, good on Washington, though. So I believe their third win of the year. And, and to knock off one of the juggernauts in the NFC in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you got to give them credit for that. So good on Washington in that regard against Tampa for getting this win. But we're going to transition to the last featured topic that we have before we go into our honorable mentions. And that is going to be the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers game. So the Green Bay Packers beat the Seahawks by the score of 17 to nothing. This was a game that was a defensive battle from beginning to end. And it was kind of a surprising result just based off of the fact that we thought that both of these teams were going to be able to score points in a pretty effective manner from beginning to end, but points were just kind of tough to come by in this game. Aaron Rodgers did not have that good of a game. Russell Wilson did not have that good of a game, but 
The fact remains is that Green Bay just finds a way to get wins on the board. They've become one of the best teams in the NFC. Kevin, what do you, Kevin, what's up? <laughs> the Chiefs just ran a fake punt and threw the ball like 15 yards down the field for a first down. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Tommy Townsend gets the snap and just throws a bullet. <laughs> keeps, yeah. keeps the drive alive, right? Dude, it was fourth and nine, and he throws a rocket. He looked like a quarterback. Shout out to the putter from UF, man. That's my dog. Yes, sir. But, you know, the way that it currently stands right now, we're going to transition this to more of the Seattle portion. Because Green Bay, they've really kind of set themselves apart as one of the best teams, if if not arguably the best team in the NFC. But Seattle is really down bad right now. There's no other way to say it. They got Russell Wilson back in this game. And you would think that would kickstart the offense compared to what Geno was providing in the backup role while Russell was out. But they laid an egg today. They got shut out by Green Bay. They're currently sitting at a 3-6 and six record. They're essentially in the basement in the NFC West right alongside the San Francisco 49ers. So, Kevin, to kick the question to you, with Seattle losing this game on the road to Green Bay, has their season effectively ended? 1,000%. I mean, I don't necessarily think that this game was the final point. Patrick Mahomes just threw a touchdown in the end zone. It's a touchback. Wow, another turnover. Um, I really think this ends it because the NFC as a whole is just just so damn competitive. Oh, wow, they called it incomplete. That's interesting. Anyway, um, you have the Cowboys. You have the Bucks. You have the Cardinals. You have the freaking um, the Rams. It's just, there's just so many teams out there that are just so competitive. You truthfully and honestly cannot come out here and say a 3-6, and six, your main quarterback, your franchise is coming off of hand surgery, finger surgery, whatever, your inability to run the ball – and then it, it, it looked to be at the end of the game that the, the, the frustration really got to the team because DK Metcalf goes and gets ejected by grabbing the face mask of two defenders on the Green Bay portion. Just, again, frustration, we get it. You're losing. You get shut out. I mean, your, your team's not playing well. But to go out there and just completely divulge your character and just, com- like, just, I don't know, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, my God, Daryl Williams just mossed somebody in the end zone, a running back. Holy shit, Kyle. That's a touchdown for us, by the way. Um, dude, I I really don't know what to say with Seattle. Like, it's, it's Look at their team on paper. You have Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jamal Adams on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you have Carlos Dunlap. I mean, you really don't expect them to be this bad. But for whatever reason, they just can't get it together. Their defense can't stop people. The offensive line has been atrocious for the last three seasons. So... I'm really just looking at this, and I'm just saying, I think this is shot. I think this is a wrap-it-up kind of thing. I really do think that Pete Carroll at his time is probably over after this season. I know that seems a little bit drastic, but with the performance like they've had this year and the inability to go and provide what Russell Wilson needs to be successful, I just don't see it possible. I'm in full agreement, Kev. I see no way that they could really come back and redeem this season. That's despite getting Russell Wilson back in this game against Green Bay. And with the way that the game played out against the Packers, there were multiple chances where Seattle could have taken the lead in this game. But Russell had probably one of his worst interceptions of the year. The Seahawks were only down 3 nothing, and Seattle's going on a drive. They're in the red zone. And on third down, Russell runs to the left outside of the pocket 
and throws against his body into the end zone and gets picked off by Kevin King. And it was a touchback. That drive, even if it had resulted in a field goal, it's tied 3-3 in the fourth quarter. But that drive just really set them behind the eight ball. And they just couldn't get anything after that because I think Green Bay was able to get a touchdown that put them up 10 nothing, And then they were able to get another touchdown at the end of the game to put them up 17 to nothing. So defensively, I thought Seattle played very well against Aaron Rodgers, which is kind of a, a surprise because Seattle is not that good defensively. They have a lackluster secondary and just, they just don't have that same swagger that the Legion of Boom used to present to teams five to six years ago, but they just couldn't get anything on the offensive side of the ball going today. Tyler Lockett was essentially a no-show today. I don't believe, I believe his first catch came in the third quarter. So he was blanketed by the Packers secondary and DK Metcalf was also a no-show in this game just because he wasn't able to put much as far as catches and yards go. Just the whole team offensively, they couldn't get anything going. And if you can't get anything going with Russell Wilson in, man, that's trouble. They're sitting at a 3-6 and six record. They're in no way, shape, or form going to compete for the top spot in the NFC West anymore. The Cardinals and the Rams have that locked up. And I think at this point, Kevin, I'm with you 100%. I think we're possibly looking at Pete Carroll's last season as the head coach for the Seattle Seahawks. Who knows? Could this be Russell's last season in Seattle? This may be a scenario where everybody jumps ship and they could just reset the entire team after. I don't want to get too hyperbolic with that because we kind of have to see how the rest of the season plays out. I mean, if things really go downhill for Seattle here, I mean, could Russell demand a trade in the offseason? Potentially. But we'll kind of have to see what happens for the rest of the season. So I think the best case scenario for Seattle moving forward is that is that they try to get to some sort of a 500 record. Maybe you could vie for the last wild card spot in that scenario, but I think at this point, I just think that's too tall of a mountain to climb or too tall of an obstacle to overcome. And yeah, I mean, granted, we're only in week 10, but despite Russell Wilson coming back into the fold, I think their season is essentially over. There's just no other way I can say it. Yeah. And guys, we don't believe this is a, a, a rash or a rush to judgment. It's just based off of what we've seen based off of what they've had to overcome. And, I mean, I really don't see this as something that Seattle can necessarily bounce back from. The lead is just growing exponentially in terms of distance from playoff teams to where they sit. The division is basically completely out of hand between the Rams and the Cardinals being in the positions that they are. And then, like I said at the top of the segment, the NFC just continuously gets better and better progressively as it goes on throughout the year. So I'm just looking at this saying, unless they legitimately do not a 180, a full-on stop, hole, and sprint in the opposite direction, I don't think this is possible at all. Now, mathematically, they're not eliminated from playoff contention. So we're not saying it's a guarantee. But based off of what we see, this doesn't look like something that can be halted or turned around. I mean, they were struggling even before Russell got hurt. I mean, the offensive issues that they've had, even with Russell being in the fold before he injured his finger they were apparent and I think it really just stems with the fact that man this team as far as their run games go their their run game goes it's just not effective 
Chris Carson has been in and out of the lineup the entire year. Alex Collins has filled in admirably in absence of Chris Carson, but they just don't run the ball enough for the defenses to respect it. If I if I'm gonna be 100 percent honest here, I think if Seattle just focused on running the ball more instead of Russell just trying to carry them to the promised land, I think that this team could be much more competitive. But essentially what happens is is that Seattle gets into a hole early and then they got to rely on Russell to bring them back. They just completely abandon the run game and they just hope that Russell can be able to make plays happen to kind of get them back into the game relatively quickly. But they got to get off to better starts. You know, today against the Green Bay Packers, I mean, it was essentially 3 nothing for most of the game. Hell, it was even 0-0 for most of the game. So... If they get off to a better start, there's a very good chance they could have knocked off Green Bay today. But that turnover by Russell, the inconsistency on the offensive side of the ball, it is, it hurts just watching this team offensively. They just, they can't get sustainable drives. And then defensively, granted, this was probably one of the best performances that they're going to pitch the entire season. They held Green Bay 17 points. It's pretty solid as far as what Seattle's able to do. And, and Jamal Adams had an interception for yeah. the first time in God knows how long. I, I know. But even that still, you can't get... At 17 points, you hold Aaron Rodgers to that. It's pretty solid. But... Yeah. Bro, I gotta say this though. A.J. Dillon abused them today. He was oh, a yeah. one-man wrecking crew. For Mold him down. Today. Dude, it was insane. You know, I I even think that uh, Aaron Jones got hurt this game. I believe he sprained his MCL, so he might be out for. A I considerable, did see that. Yep, he might be out for a considerable period of time. But if they got AJ Dillon in the backfield, Jesus, I mean, he can mow down those defenses as long as he gets spaces to run. So, and Green Bay has a solid offensive line to work with. So, I imagine AJ Dillon is going to get a lot of carries moving forward with Aaron Jones, you know, trying to recover from this MCL sprain, but. Overall, yeah, I think Seattle season's over. I think the Packers, could they be the top team in our power rankings? Potentially. They could be right up there. You know, they're one of the best teams in the NFC, right alongside the Cardinals and the Rams. And in the NFL, I mean, they're right alongside the Titans as well. So, you know, even though that they scored 17 points today, this wasn't their best performance offensively. It was enough to get them the win. And you know what? A gritty, tough win against Seattle. I think they'll take that any day. Big time. And in the snow, too. First snow game of the year. So good to yeah. see that. Yeah, I mean, it was rel- it was relatively dry throughout, I believe, like the first three quarters of the game. But then it really started snowing in the fourth quarter. But I always love snow games. Those are always oh, fun. Oh, big time. Those, especially it reminds me of being a kid. But I, I do remember <laughs> somebody posted a video of the snow or a picture of the snow in Lambo before they cleared it all off before the game. And Colin Coward... He retweeted that picture saying OBJ made the right move by not going to Green Bay instead of going to yeah. instead, of, instead going to LA. So I guess in that regard, maybe he was kind of true, but you know, I guess we'll see what happens on Monday night, you know, with the whole OBJ going to the Rams. I mean, that'll be fun to watch. But I think he would have been successful wherever he went, though. I don't whether it was Green Bay or LA. So but time will tell. That's funny as shit. But with that said, that'll wrap up our feature segments when it comes to the biggest games from Week 10. We'll now transition into our honorable mentions. Very similar to what we've done in the past. 
Kevin and I will pick a game that we think needed to be mentioned. So, Kevin, I'm going to kick the question to you on this one. Who do you have as your honorable mention from Week 10 in the NFL? I'm going with the Buffalo Bills, man. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and those boys found a way to turn it up after that disappointing, embarrassing, abolishing loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week and put a 45 on the Jets' head. That is back-to-back weeks the Jets have given up 45 points each game. That's 90 in total, if you guys aren't that well at math or that good at math. Um, the GOAT Mike White, unfortunately, went out there and threw four total interceptions. Joe, the old man veteran Flacco, went came in and he threw a touchdown and was three for three. So there may be another quarterback change. Who the hell knows? But swinging it back to Buffalo, Josh Allen only had seven total incompletions, threw for over 360 total yards. Had two touchdowns. He did have an interception, but he did have a pass rating of 125. Um, They were able to run the football, surprisingly, today. They ran the ball for 139 yards, Kyle. The Buffalo Bills ran the ball for over 100 yards. It's almost unheard of. They averaged 5.8 yards per carry. And obviously, Stephon Diggs led the way with 162 total yards receiving. So from top to bottom, the Bills just legitimately beat the living shit out of the Jets. And they continue to struggle, but the Buffalo Bills hold that lead on top of the AFC East, and uh, they move on to 6-3. and three. And with my honorable mention this week, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys are coming off of a terrible loss from last week against the Broncos, where they lost at home in one of the most shocking upsets of the entire year. And then they put an absolute beatdown on the Atlanta Falcons today, beating them by the score of 43-3. to A 40-point win at home. And going back and looking at this game, I don't remember one single highlight from Atlanta the entire game. That's how good Dallas was in this game from beginning to end. And just going off of what they were able to produce today, man, they were phenomenal today. Granted, they didn't get the run production that they are usually accustomed to with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, but it did not stop them. Ezekiel Elliott had two touchdowns to go along with his day. I thought Dak Prescott was sensational once again, threw for almost about 300 yards passing. And when I look at Dallas, outside of the one fumble that they had and maybe some of the penalties that they accrued, there was nothing that I could really criticize Dallas in this regard. They're one of the best teams in the NFC at this current moment in time. They pretty much own the NFC East this year. There's really no team that's going to be able to compete with them moving forward. And I think this was a much-needed win after that loss against the Broncos last week. I don't think a lot of people were expecting that loss against Denver, but this was a game where they just flat out beat down Atlanta. Trayvon Diggs got another interception. He has eight on the season. In the nine games that they've played, he's had eight interceptions. It's absolutely insane. And once again, Dallas is just putting out great performances, and this was one of them. This may be one of the best performances that they put up the entire year. I mean, a 40-point beatdown at home, you know, to see a team get beat by 40 points, it's it's not something you see very often. And it really just goes to show how good this Dallas team is when they are running on full tilt, bro. When this team is hitting their strides, this team could beat anybody. And Atlanta had no shot against Dallas today. So my honorable mention this week, it's going to go to the Dallas Cowboys. It's a much-deserved honorable mention. All right, so Kyle, rounding out our NFL topic and segment for the evening is going to be the Monday night game between the Los Angeles Rams against the San Francisco 49ers. 
Obviously, what's buzzing and crazy about the Rams this week is obviously the addition of Odell Beckham Jr., but also the loss of Robert Woods to a torn ACL in practice. We were texting about that during the weekend, and we found that very odd that as Odell kind of like enters the facility, that practice, Robert Woods tears his ACL. I'm not one to say that I believe in fate, but it just seems like it was kind of meant to be for Odell to go to L.A., Odell is deemed active for this game. So, Kyle, I'm just poising the question to you. Does the new added weapon of the L.A. Rams mean the Rams are a for-sure victory against the 49ers? Yeah, I'm pretty confident that the Rams are going to win this game against San Francisco because I look at it like this, and it's very simple. San Francisco last week could not beat Colt McCoy leading the Arizona Cardinals. You're going to sit here and tell me that the San Francisco 49ers are going to beat one of the best teams in the NFC and the NFL to a larger extent in the Rams with a guy they just added by the name of Odell Beckham Jr. to go along with Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, and Van Jefferson with Matt Stafford throwing them the ball. There's no way. There's absolutely no way that San Francisco is going to win this game. I think L.A., they just continue to march on to the top spot or arguably the top spot in the NFC with a pretty sizable win over the 49ers in this Monday night matchup. I just don't think that the 49ers are going to present that much of a challenge with the Rams in this game. If they weren't able to do it last week against a battered Arizona Cardinals team, there's no way they're going to be able to do it this week. I think the Rams win this one pretty convincingly. Kevin, I could see this game possibly being a two-possession game in the favor of the Rams in this one. I'm going to say with the score that the Rams win this one 34-20. I think we're set up for a Monday night beatdown, and I think the Rams are going to give it to the 49ers in this matchup. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the, the Rams are coming off of a shitty loss this last week. And I mean, like, very embarrassing. Tennessee just beat them up and down. Matthew Stafford looked atrocious. The defense looked like they just could not stop Tannehill and the Derrick Henry list Titans. So I'm just looking at this game saying, just like we said about Buffalo, this is a game they need to snap back. This is a game they need to wake up. And they're going to take out their frustrations and mishaps from last week, and they're going to take it out on a very bad San Francisco 49ers team. So I expect Stafford to have four touchdowns, hopefully two of them to Cooper Cup, because I really need Cooper Cup to pop off of fantasy. But – I truly and honestly believe I agree completely. This may be a two to three possession blowout just because San Francisco's inability to stop anybody on the defensive side of the football, and they have just genuinely been riddled with injuries up and down throughout the entire season. So LA comes back to form. San Francisco continues to plummet down into the conference, into the division that is the NFC West. And, you know, the Rams just continue their resurgence in the NFC. Yeah, it's like... I think the biggest thing with San Francisco this year is just, once again, just injuries just haunt this team. Granted, they were able to get George Kittle back last week, and he had a pretty solid day as far as his production goes. But, man, to lose to the Arizona Cardinals without Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and A.J. Green on the offensive side of the ball, and Colt McCoy, I can't even remember the last time he started in the NFL, let alone win a game in the NFL. That's embarrassing. I mean, they were able to put 31 points on the 49ers on the road against San Francisco. And Jimmy G and that offense were only able to put up 17. 
there's just no way that the 49ers are going to have any sort of legitimate shot to beat the Rams this week. The Rams are one of the best teams in the entire league. Offensively, they're stout. Defensively, they're just as stout with Aaron Donald. I, I imagine that Von Miller is going to be playing in this game. This Von, the, Von should definitely play. Yeah. Th- this will be his first action that we see him in a Rams uniform. And to go along with that with OBJ. This will be OBJ's first crack at it. Granted, he doesn't know the entire playbook yet, so there may be some there may be some shakiness at first with just his knowledge of the playbook when it comes to what the Rams are going to present as far as offensive plays goes. But I think they're going to keep it relatively simple with him. And I think really that Robert Woods injury, man, that's a that's a big loss for them. Because, I mean, if you have OBJ, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, and Tyler Higby, man, that is one of the best offenses that you could present to any team in the NFL. But that definitely does take a hit with losing Robert Woods for the rest of the year. But it will mean that OBJ will definitely get some targets. I know he was complaining about that in Cleveland where he was saying that Baker's not essentially throwing me the ball. Granted, his father was saying that for him, but... I imagine that the the feeling was mutual in that regard. So, no, this will definitely be OBJ's time to shine. I think he's in a great spot with LA, and hopefully, he could be able to rekindle some of that magic that he was able to bring to the Giants for the couple of years while he was there before things soured there. So, the bright lights are going to be on OBJ in this game, and hopefully, he comes through. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the perfect opportunity for him to step in and fill a role in a much-needed role. Obviously, Robert Woods is the known number two on the line, on the roster. So for OBJ to step in at this point in time is legitimately just a perfect fit, and we're just going to have to see what happens. Oh, but yeah. um, that, that, that about wraps it up in terms of NFL content. Kyle and I were kind of rattling back and forth as to what NBA topic we can really bring into this and really talk about. And then, of course, Kyle brought up the, you know, ongoing issue, but ongoing situation, should I say, with Zion Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans. Zion had some off-season foot surgery um, in which that has kept him sidelined and away from all Pelican activities between – you know, off-season workouts, uh, preseason. I mean, he hasn't played a single game this season. So we're just kind of keeping an eye on this. And we're saying, well, damn, Zion is nowhere near game shape from all reports. Obviously, we saw him live at a game uh, a couple of weeks ago to which Zion looked very overweight. And, you know, the reports are coming through that Zion just does not look like he is in game shape whatsoever. And then Shams came out and said last week that, he is quite some time away from even a potential return. So, Kyle, I'm just looking at you, and I'm poising the question to you to say, dude, should they just shut him down for the year? I think so. I don't see why Zion Williamson should play for the Pelicans this year, and here's why. The Pelicans currently have the worst record in the NBA. They have a 1-11 record, and they have been in no way, shape, or form competitive to start the season. And Zion Williamson is their biggest franchise piece at this current moment in time. And this off-season foot procedure that he has had and the recovery from that has not gone according to plan. And Shams was saying in an interview with Pat McAfee last week that there's no really set timetable for him to come back. They keep pushing it back as far as a set date on when he's coming back. And I imagine that he's had some complications in this recovery process from that foot surgery And with the weight issues 
you know, Zion was a big guy coming into the league. And there were a lot of people thinking that that could have been an issue moving forward once he gets established in the NBA. Well, with this foot issue that he's had, and it continues to linger, he has been putting on the pounds. And granted, listen, living in New Orleans, I get it. It's tough. New Orleans has some of the best food that you could possibly imagine. I imagine that that gumbo must be hitting different right now. But with that said, it's just he's not in game shape. And he's in no way, shape, or form ready to go out on the court. And I think at this point with the way that New Orleans has started this year, I mean, even if they were to get somewhat competitive, I just don't know when Zion's going to actually be ready to hit the court and actually get back in the game shape. Because even if he recovers from this foot issue that he's been dealing with the last couple of months, he's got to get back into shape. He's got to get conditioned into NBA speed. And with what I've seen as far as the pictures and the videos of him, granted there haven't been too many, and I imagine that the Pelicans have been trying to keep a tight lid on that, he's probably going to be at least a month you know, before he comes back into some sort of game shape. And I just don't see that happening anytime soon. So with Zion Williamson, I think New Orleans' best course of action here is just scratching for the season. I don't think it's worth it. He is definitely your biggest piece moving forward as far as the future goes for the Pelicans. And I don't think it's worth putting the risk of him possibly injuring that foot once again, or God forbid, sustaining another injury. And I think they should just shelve him for the rest of the season. I don't really think that it would be that bad of an option for New Orleans. I think it saves him for his future. And hopefully he can get back into some sort of healthy shape moving forward because they're definitely going to need him in the years to come as a franchise. Bro, I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, since Duke, the discussion of Zion's size and his weight has just consistently circled. And then we made the joke when he was drafted, if he does go to New Orleans, with the comment that you made, the food and the town, and obviously if New Orleans doesn't pan into the, you know, the winning environment, Zion is going to just end up gaining weight for whatever reason. Now he had surgery. He doesn't look like he's going to be playing this season, if not, you know, maybe not this season. I mean, not to say that. I'm not a doctor. But it doesn't look like he's playing anytime soon. It doesn't look like, from my perspective, that he's taking rehabilitation serious. And it doesn't look like he's taking the physical readiness that you need to be to play at this level is very serious at all. I mean, from what I understand and what I've read, he was somewhere between the 287, 295-pound range when he was in game shape his rookie year. He is upwards of 300 and some odd pounds now. So we're looking at almost 20 total pounds additional since his rookie season. It's absolutely atrocious. And yes, you know, after surgery, you tend to gain weight. You're not as physically active because you're rehabbing, you're recovering. You're not as active and mobile as you should be as a professional athlete. But for him to not even be making an effort to kind of be in game shape just does look pretty bad. Um, And with the continuous pushback of this return date, it just doesn't look good from New Orleans. I did hear a couple of takes on the Pat McAfee show where Pat was kind of saying like, is it more of a Zion's camp thing? Is it more of a Pelicans thing of them saving him to, to really kind of let him come back fully healthy for next season? Does Zion's family want out of New Orleans? Obviously, the speculation of every time he plays against New York, he has a great media day or a great post-game conference where he's like, I love this city. The city's so much fun. And, you know, the New York media loves to spin it where it's like everybody wants to be a Nick. But 
with them being so bad, and by them I mean the Pelicans, and, and Zion looking to be missing a significant amount of time, I don't see him signing an extension with this team. It's it's literally continuously a rotation of different players the last couple of years. Willie Green's a brand new head coach that does not seem to look like he knows what he's doing as of late. So if I'm Zion, I don't really know if I want to come back. I don't know if I want to be on this team. I mean, 1-11, Brandon Ingram's out for a couple of more games, if not for a couple of weeks as well. And do I want to join a team that might have less than 10 wins in a month or two from now? I don't think so. I'd rather just stay healthy, save myself, lose a little bit more weight, and do what I need to do to be ready for the next year. And, you know, maybe next year they get some free agent or some draft pick, or maybe they get the number one overall pick again. I don't know. But New Orleans does not look like a good team right now. It's a terrible situation for not just Zion, but the organization as a whole. And, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting and see where the dominoes fall at this point. It's a tire fire. It's an absolute tire fire in New Orleans. And, you know, it's, I mean, about a year or two ago, there was a lot of excitement with that team because they had some young guns that were kind of showing some promise. But Lonzo ends up going to Chicago. Brendan Ingram's been out of the lineup with injury. And then to compound that, Zion Williamson has been dealing with this lingering foot issue and then the weight issues associated with that. It's just, it seems like that house of cards has now just completely fallen apart for New Orleans. And it looks like, I mean, at this point, it's too early to say this, but man, do you do you think about possibly trading Brandon Ingram to possibly get some sort of future draft capital back, possibly get somebody that, you know, was willing to give up a decent piece in return for, for Brandon Ingram. Maybe way too early to say that at this current moment in time, but just things could not have gone any worse for New Orleans to start the year. And I don't think it's going to improve anytime soon. Kevin, they might be lucky to win 20 games this year. Yeah, no, I was literally just about to say the same thing. But what I don't understand is, right, you get a rookie head coach, right? First time being a head coach in the NBA in general, former player Willie Green. You give Brandon Ingram a max extension. You let Lonzo walk. You trade away Steven Adams. You get Valanchunas. Zion is doing his own thing. You give Josh Hart an extension. There's rumors circulating internally that multiple beat writers have said that they're willing to explore trade options for Josh Green, a person that you said that you loved publicly to the media and to uh, other NBA personnel. And it just looks like David Griffin is losing grip on this franchise. I mean, like, as a general manager, this consistent, or should I say inconsistency of rumors within personnel groups, changing of the head coach, changing of the lineup. I mean, it just it looks like they don't know what they're doing and that they can't make up their mind. I mean, for God's sakes, they had, Drew, they had uh, Eric Bledsoe, they had Lonzo Ball, they had all these different pieces that have either moved on or just don't want to be there anymore. And it's like... To me, New Orleans is like the laughing stock of the league right now because they're just wasting people's careers. I mean, the hype behind Zion was like up there, dude. It was unreal. Unreal. It was absolutely from from high school. From his sophomore year of high school, this man was sorted out to be a number one overall pick. And now we're here. And that was just like four or five years ago because they only played one year at Duke. Is New Orleans like the worst team in the NBA aside from just like a team, like an organizational standpoint? I mean, the Willie Green signing to me made no sense. What does that – you have a young team and now you're going to literally throw a first-time head coach in the mix? Like there were certain games – like we – okay, so the, the Mavs were playing the, the Pelicans last week, right? And there were a couple of instances in which he made some substitutions and personnel switches 
with Kristaps in the game and whatnot. And I'm just looking at it and I'm like, well, Valanciunas is in foul trouble or like Jackson Hayes can't really guard and they're playing a lot of pick and roll. and They're, they're not really playing. Any, you know what I mean? Like you look at it again. I'm not a professional basketball player. I played a little bit of high school basketball. I played a lot of pickup basketball, but you know, when you watch the NBA enough and you watch enough basketball, you kind of look at it like maybe they should do this or maybe they should do that. And you're like, I don't see them making adjustments. Mm-hmm. I don't see them getting better. And it's just like you, unfortunately, look at the head coach because you're always just going to be like, well, he's not putting them in a position to win. Personnel group with Brandon Ingram being out and a novice head coach and an incompetent GM from what it seems like, it's just a formula for a disaster. A tire fire is really an understatement. New Orleans looks bad. Anthony Davis is probably looking at them saying, I got an NBA championship and we might not be doing good right now, but I am thankful I ain't out there. And Lonzo was really kind of the last guy to abandon ship. He got out of that situation in New Orleans. And I think, to his credit, I think he saw the writing on the wall with New Orleans and ended up joining a pretty solid team. And the Chicago Bulls is here. The Chicago Bulls are going to be a lot more competitive, are going to be literally a planet distant apart as far as competitiveness this season compared to the New Orleans Pelicans. So... Lonzo really kind of played his cards right in this one. I think he got out at a good time, and I think he's making the most of his situation in Chicago. And, man, if you're looking at Brandon Ingram, be like, how long are you going to stay there, bro? Hey, he got the time, bag. That's, so good for him, but dude, I, I, I'm just saying, get out. Yeah, he's got to get out because, I, honestly, this team is going nowhere. Nowhere. And fast. Yeah. So... I'm not going to say they're going to look as bad as what like, like maybe the Knicks were like when they were really hitting, hitting their bad spells or maybe like Cleveland back in the day after they lost LeBron. But they won't be too far behind. I'll say that right now. Yeah. But, I mean, guys. But I, I, before we wrap this up, uh, I want to get your quick take about the Kansas City Chiefs beating down the Las Vegas Raiders by the score of 41 to 14. Dude, I just. Listen, you said it a few weeks back. The Chiefs still have the potential. They just needed to tighten up on defense, right? Obviously, with everything going on internally within the Vegas system, it's kind of like an up and down thing. There's weeks Derek Carr looks great. There's times he doesn't. I can't necessarily put a pin on this to say that there was one particular reason as to why the Chiefs actually stepped up, but I'm just going to go and pick one, and that's just the defense. They got pressure on Derek Carr. They were able to limit the run game, and they did what they needed to do on offense. I mean, Pat had five touchdowns and over 400 yards. God, Darrell Williams had over 150 total purpose yards by himself. He had over 100 yards receiving. So they capitalized, and we said it multiple times. Pat is still Pat. He's just had to do too much. And when the defense finally steps up and gives him the opportunity to play consistently on the offensive side – you build the rhythm, you build the chemistry, and I believe that the Chiefs are poised to continuously make this run. Their confidence has returned, and, you know, it just looks like Vegas is down bad, man. Pat looked phenomenal in this game. The guy threw for over 400 yards passing. Like you said, he threw for five touchdowns. Man, this was the game that I think Casey finally needed to just get their mojo back on the offensive side of the ball. They've been dealing with so many turnover issues. Pat's been getting sacked consistently throughout most of the year the offense has looked just so out of sorts in every aspect but this was the game where 
they look like the Chiefs of old, putting up 41 points against a pretty solid team in the Las Vegas Raiders. You needed this, and they got it. So with the Chiefs, after all the issues that they've been dealing with as a team, they are currently back at the top of the AFC West. Who would have thought a a month ago that this team would have been back at the top of the AFC West with the Chargers? They were on a high note. The Raiders were right alongside them. But man, they have got it all the way back. And I'm not saying that it continues. You know, they're off to a pretty good stretch right now. But this win against the Raiders, man, it was a beatdown. And it was a much-needed win for the Chiefs. And it's like I said, man, earlier. I I was saying a couple weeks ago that they were at risk of missing in the playoffs. But that was based off of the fact or based off of the possibility that they couldn't correct the offensive issues that they had. Well, now they have seemed to fix them and also the defensive side of the ball as well. I remember saying that if they keep teams under 25 points, that would be a win. They were able to contain the Raiders to 14 points with that offense, with the way that it's humming with Patrick Mahomes, they can get that easy. So good win for the chiefs. They find a way to get back into a competitive space in the AFC once again. And you can never count that team out, Kevin. You just can't. No, no. And I did that. And, you know, I, I kind of was a rush to judge because they were just playing so bad and the play calling just seemed to be spotty, uh, you know, at best. So they got to keep it going. It's yeah. still competitive in the AFC. It's still competitive in this division. I'm not going to rule out anything in terms of, uh, you know, them falling back to maybe – Another two or three game skid. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's impossible for them to fall. They do have a, a decent remaining schedule left. So once again, as we always tend to end the segments nowadays, since we're towards the middle of the season, we just have to let it play out and only time will tell. Yeah, but Kevin, I think that's all we got on the agenda today. Can you think of anything else? Um, not necessarily. Obviously, we got the big Monday night game that we already went over, but that's going to be big in terms of I'm just curious to see how Odell meshes with this offense, even though it's only been a few days and working out. Um, obviously, great NBA games coming up this week, so we'll keep you guys posted there. Uh, I'm just – I don't know, man. We've had a lot of technical difficulties tonight, and, you know, we've had to kind of make some re-edits and readjustments. So big kudos to Kyle. I know he's going to be up late tonight, up early tomorrow morning to really fix it. So we will make sure that we get this done, and uh, we appreciate you guys for all the support. I know that uh, – I'll be gone next week, starting on Monday evening, so you guys will see me next Sunday, but I will be on vacation for Thanksgiving with my girlfriend and her family, so Kyle will be kind of backpacking the load by himself, uh, and we will uh, just continue to figure this out as we go along, but as always, guys, I mean, 326 subscribers to for a subscriber check, and our numbers just continue to increase, so big kudos to everybody that has been here from the beginning, and to anybody new, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. It's only the beginning. Yeah, the only part that I'm going to add is, you know, just wherever you guys have supported the podcast, whether it's been listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching our content on YouTube, uh, we always appreciate the support wherever we can get it. Uh, We will have another episode coming out later this week. We'll be going over some of the Week 11 games in the NFL. I imagine we'll probably go over some of the, we'll go over the Thursday night game a little bit. But, I mean, outside of that, you know, it's pretty much going to be the NFL moving forward, and we'll kind of sprinkle on some NBA topics as the NBA kind of hits the quarter mark of the season so far. 
But outside of that, I don't think we have anything else to add. And with that said, you guys, you know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in to give us a chance or just giving us your ear. And we'll see you guys later. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.